Let's open our Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 8. I'll try to be brief this morning, but our study uh, today is, is going to be different than anything we've done before. In fact, in 28 years of ministry, I've never done a study like this. Um, and it may not seem real unique to me, to you, but it did to me. I was uh, listening to my father preach this week on CD, um, and, and during his message, uh, as he was talking about something else, the Lord immediately impressed uh, this idea on my heart. And one of the reasons I like the concept so much is because it has direct application for every single person in this room. Each of us comes in this morning with something going on. Something happening in our lives. You have uh, issues that are weighing on your heart and mind. You have um, joys and happiness and things that are going great, but each of us also has difficulties and, and uncertainties and frustrations. And maybe you're here this morning and you've got major problems. Maybe they're so overwhelming right now that you just feel defeated and beaten down and, and you just really don't know what to do next because you're in crisis. One thing we know about life is that if that doesn't describe us this morning, that at some point it will, right? At some point we're going to face problems that are, that are gripping our heart and that preoccupy our mind all the time. And, and we don't really know uh, what to do next and how to, how to proceed. And, you know, a lot of those problems really are the result of the sin of mankind. Sin always creates chaos and uncertainty and division and disorder and just the presence of sin in humanity creates so many of the problems that we face in life but uh, there also may be other things going on maybe the Lord's calling you to repentance maybe he's challenging your heart because you've been away from him all your life or you've uh, backslidden and, and God's calling you to get right with him or maybe God's taking you through a time where your faith is being stretched in ways that you don't really want it to be stretched, but it's necessary. God never stretches our faith without it being necessary, right? We always need to be at a higher level of faith and a, and a new appreciation for the Lord and a new trust in the Lord. So all of this is going on, and, and whatever the case is for you this morning, wherever you are in terms of your life, uh, the bottom line is you have issues. And I hate to break that to you, but you do have issues, and I have issues. And how do we deal with that? What do we do in those situations? Well, we know that the Lord is gracious, and we know that the Lord is merciful. Somebody say amen to that. The Lord is gracious, and he's merciful, and he's willing to help us, and he's willing to minister to us, and he loves to help and minister to those who trust him. God is always faithful. God is always sufficient. He's always there uh, in our time of need. And the longer we live as believers and the more mature we get in our faith, trusting him and going to him in times of difficulty should be second nature. It shouldn't even be a question like, should I trust the Lord in this situation or should I, should I pray in this situation or should I just go forward knowing God is sufficient and God answers prayer and God is faithful and he will come alongside me and his spirit will minister to me because that's his name, the paraclete, the one who comes alongside, that, that God will do those things. I've been saved a long time, 42 years this summer, and I really can't imagine anymore, because I've been saved so long, uh, what it's like to be without the Lord. I'm not saying that bragging, I'm saying that because that's just how it is. It's unthinkable to think uh, how 
I could go through life without the presence of the Lord or without the sufficiency of the Lord. And all the difficulties that, that I've faced over the years and all the challenges that, that have been brought into my life, what would I have done without the Lord? I've spent a lot of time in hospitals and I've done, unfortunately, a lot of funerals. And I've watched the reaction of people that know the Lord and people that don't know the Lord. I've watched the mindset and the attitude and the, and the joy versus despair of somebody who has confidence in Christ and knows that their loved one is now in heaven because they had faith in Christ. And then I've watched the, the difficulty and the sadness, and it, it's very sad to watch, of people that just don't have that hope and that are, that are kind of hoping somehow that maybe the loved one's in heaven, and, and I don't know, maybe they prayed to receive Christ at some point, but I'm not sure. That, that, that isn't how it has to be. Every single person that walks the faith of the earth can have confident hope and complete security in any circumstance. And they can have that only one way. They can only have that through Christ. Whatever your problem is this morning, whatever your situation, whatever your crisis, whatever is heavy on your heart this morning, we're going to see from this chapter, Luke chapter 8, that Jesus Christ is sufficient to meet that need. It doesn't matter what you're dealing with, and I know some of you are dealing with very significant things. Some of you are happy-go-lucky this morning because you're at a good time in your life where there's not a lot of crisis. But I want to tell you this morning that whatever your need, Christ will meet it. And we're going to look at four different sets of people. We're going to look at people that have experience and authority. We're going to look at other people that, that nobody really paid attention to. But, but where we stand in society and how people view us really doesn't matter. Because in every situation we're going to briefly look at this morning, these people had no answers. Nothing made sense. There was no out. There was no solution and they had reached a critical point where they're helpless and hopeless. And without the Lord's intervention at this point, everything is going to be lost. Now maybe that describes you this morning. Not so much situationally, but maybe that describes you spiritually. Maybe you don't even want to be here this morning. Somebody brought you or you came grudgingly or whatever. But, but this is kind of catching your attention. And, and you may be thinking, well, I've been trying to find purpose in people and I've tried to find purpose in possessions and I've tried to find purpose in in vices but it's it's all falling short going after those things is empty you're trying to fill a spiritual void in your life and it's not going to be filled by those things and at the end of the day you're aware that your life needs a spiritual change I want to tell you as lovingly and as graciously as I can that living for ourselves and living for sin is empty it's unfulfilling. You will never, ever, ever be at peace. And I want you to know, and you already see it, that that's affecting every aspect of your life. Well, what I want to you, and I want to speak specifically to you this morning, I want you to see Jesus this morning. I want you to see the power and the effect of Jesus. I want you to see his interaction with people and how he cared for them and how he gave everybody hope and purpose. And I want you to know if I just described you, you can have that today. By the end of this service, even right now, you can put your confidence in Christ and he will change your life for all eternity. 
you can be freed from sin, you can be freed from bondage, you can be freed from the emotional and spiritual torment and pain that you're in, you can be freed from the crisis that you're in, not that God's just going to magically take it away, but he's going to give you a different perspective, because he's going to show you that he is faithful. So I pray this morning that you will be open to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to pray just for a second and ask the Lord to help us this morning because he has a lot to encourage us with. Okay, let's pray. Father, we love you this morning. We thank you for the opportunity to study your word. And we pray right now that you would open every one of our hearts to your teaching and to your conviction. Lord, there are people that are in crisis this morning in this room and they need to hear the reassurance that you love them and that you're faithful and you're sufficient for their need. Lord, there are people in this room that maybe don't know you, that have never put their trust in you. Maybe they're even resisting you and, and don't want to be here this morning, but I pray right now you'd open up their heart to conviction. And I pray that they would see the magnificence of your grace. And Lord, that all of us would learn that you are worthy of trust. Lord, it's, it's wrong of us to even say that because how should we evaluate your worth of course you're worthy but lord teach us what it is this morning to trust you and to have our needs fulfilled by christ we pray you'll teach us now in jesus name amen all right luke chapter 8 look at the text because it offers a really remarkable picture of the mercy of god and how he meets us right at our point of need. And if you start at verse 22 and you go down to the end of the chapter, verse 56, we're not going to read all of that. But, but here we see Jesus ministering in four different situations all in one day. And what I'd like to do in this study this morning is to very quickly look at each interaction and how it fits as part of the whole. Now, because uh, Jesus was different, uh, it's worth paying attention. Jesus was different than anybody in Jewish history. In fact, really, up to this point, it's kind of hard to understand this. Jesus was different than anybody in all of history. The first century looked nothing like 2016. The first century was not an overly sensitive, be understanding and tolerant and don't do anything to offend anybody type of culture like we live in now. Instead, it was harsh. And it was very militaristic. And there was a lot of racial and gender divide. People didn't have a lot of rights. People didn't own land. They, they didn't have the abundance that we, especially in America, have. This was a, a difficult time. And the culture and, and the government was harsh. Even the religious leaders who were, were trying to guide the nation, even they were, were not particularly caring in their demeanor. In fact, when we see Jesus interacting with the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the religious leaders of the day, uh, we see that there, it was very clear that they consider themselves above the people both in position and in piety, that they thought themselves better than everybody else. And they weren't hesitant to let everybody know that. In fact, Jesus calls them out at some point and says, you see the Pharisees and the Sadducees walking around in the robes and they would attach little bells and little, little uh, trinkets to their clothing so you would hear them coming. So you'd look over. I've been in Israel and seen this, you'd, you'd see them coming and they'd wear the, the all black robes and they'd have a long train behind it and they'd have little, little things that would make sound and you'd go, oh, there's a Pharisee or there's a Sadducee. 
So they looked at people down. They, they, they considered the people less than. So we see in their interactions with Jesus that when somebody was in need and Jesus is caring for them, the Pharisees and the Sadducees kind of have their arms crossed and they're kind of looking like this, like, you're such a loser. Why do you have these problems? You need to get your act together. There was no sensitivity and no care. And then Jesus comes along. Now, he had been announced as Messiah 30 years before, but people still didn't really know who he was or know what to make of him. Even his own disciples in the three years that he was ministering with them sometimes didn't even know what to make of him. So here comes Jesus, and, and he teaches as one with authority. Even the religious leaders saw that, even when he was 12 in the temple. So they look at Jesus and they hear him teaching in a different way and they're, they're pretty intimidated by that. And, and the people start to flock to him. Maybe they're tired of the rigidity and the hypocrisy of the Pharisees or maybe they're just so hungry for somebody to care about them and somebody to give them truth and show them love that when Jesus comes along, it's like, whoa, wait a second, this is different. And then he starts to heal people. And then he starts to teach about faith and about forgiveness. And he starts to spend the whole day just ministering to people and loving people and encouraging people. And of course, anytime you got somebody like that, you're going to flock to them, right? So the crowds dramatically increase. And during the day around Galilee, hundreds and thousands of people would follow Jesus. And he'd stop and then he'd teach. And then he'd keep going and he'd run into somebody and he'd heal them or minister to them. All throughout the day. Now the Pharisees and the Sadducees were ticked off. And they come up from Jerusalem up to Galilee. And they're watching. And they're so angry and so irritated. But the problem was them. Because religion had become dry and unfulfilling. And there was no truth being taught. In fact, they had changed the law and taught it to their own benefit. And put the people down and not shown any love or care. And then Jesus comes along. You know, we live in such a disappointing culture, don't we? There's so many lies and there's so much pride and there's so much focus on self that you would think when the message of Jesus comes out that there would be a renewed hunger in our country for the hope of Christ. And I think one of the assignments for the American church that we desperately, desperately need to do is to put the focus back on Jesus and stop spending so much time being impressed with ourselves. Because I think the church has gotten smug. I think the church has gotten full of itself and it's paying so much attention to all that we can do. I was listening, Jake and I were driving this morning and we just happened to have uh, the radio on and we heard a church, and I'm sure it's a wonderful church and has great intentions and I'm not being critical, that's why I'm not going to tell you the name of it, but they said, our goal this morning is to do everything with excellence. And I said, I'm not sure where that is in the Bible. The goal is to preach Jesus and him crucified. That's what Paul said. It's not to do things with excellence, because if I'm doing things with excellence this morning, and I hope this is worthy of the Lord, but if I'm worried about excellence, then I'm worried about how you feel about me. I hope you don't see me this morning. I want you to see Jesus. Jesus Christ, Paul says, him crucified. And when we do that, when we preach that and when we live that, that's when lives are changed. Not a I feel better about myself and I'm more fulfilled and I get what I want kind of 
attitude about the gospel. Paul says, I'm crucified with Christ, and yet I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I don't hear anything about him in that. Christ crucified, risen, defeating sin and death, the Lord and Savior of all things, and now he gives us new life, and the life we now live is not for us, and it's not for attention, and it's not for praise. It's to bring all honor and all glory and all praise to him. How many want that kind of life this morning? Jesus is the only one who can provide it. Look at how he does it. Let's walk quickly through the text. Luke chapter 8, this day begins in verse 22. Jesus and his disciples get into the boat. We know this text well. We've studied these passages, so let's just summarize it. Jesus and his disciples are getting into the boat. They're going across the Sea of Galilee. Sea of Galilee is a lake. It's about eight miles wide at its widest point. Some of the disciples are fishermen. They're experienced. They know the lake. And they know the changing weather conditions. But in this case, they're in big trouble. Look at verse 23. As they were sailing along, Jesus fell asleep. And a fierce gale of wind descended on the lake. And they began to be swamped and to be in danger. And they came to Jesus and woke him up saying, Master, we are perishing. And he got up and rebuked the wind and the surging waves. And they stopped and it became calm. We want to isolate four problems this morning and four solutions in each account. The first problem here is that they're in this big boat, this stable boat, probably one of their fishing boats, and it's about to capsize. And at this point, here's the problem. They're afraid. In fact, I would say that they're terrified. And the real problem is they have no solution. When you're afraid and you have no solution, that's not a good place to be, right? Now, of course, Jesus is in the boat with them, but he's asleep. And i got to believe they're a little frustrated because when I read it, I didn't read it correctly. They don't say master once. They say master twice. Anytime you say something twice, there's a little extra emphasis there, right? Not, not just, hey, Jesus, we got a little problem here. Um, that we're taking on some water, and you might want to just, I don't know, maybe just wake up a little bit and see if you can lend a hand. You think that's how they're talking here? Master, master, we've got a problem. They're shouting above the wind and the waves, and it's, it's tense, and there's all kinds of crisis. The boat is so swamped that it's about to tip over, and if they tip over, they're not going to live. So they come to him, and they're like, what? He's asleep. And, and, and I have to believe, because I think this is what the text says, that, that they start saying, hey, Jesus, come on. They're frustrated. And while they recognize that he's their master, they use the right word, they also know that he doesn't seem to be helping them. You know, there are many times in our lives where we're going to think that's the case. Where we're going to think that God seems to be not paying attention. At the very least, he's not answering our prayers. And the devil loves pushing that narrative. He loves saying, oh, there it is. There it is, Rhodes. Yeah, I knew God didn't care. And you know what? You're, you're such a sap. You, you trust God. You believe God's good. It's futile. It's futile to put your confidence in him. A, a, and he just keeps lying and keeps saying God's not worthy and God can't be trusted. And you're just going to have to tough it out and hope for the best and, and, and do what you can. Don't forget the enemy's a liar. 
He's a liar. And these verses are proof that God not only cares when we're afraid, but he has complete power to defeat our fears. Look at verse 24. Jesus is physically asleep, but he's totally aware of what's going on. He doesn't wake up and rub his eyes and go, oh, what's the problem? We got a storm here? Wow, when did that happen? What are we going to do? Instead, he gets up, not concerned about the storm. He calms the wind and the waves until they come, be completely calm. And then he looks at the disciples very matter-of-factly and says, why is your faith so small? Guys, why, what's going on here? One minute, they're in absolute turmoil, fighting for their lives with the wind and the waves swamping them to the point that they're about to capsize. That's one minute. In the next minute, try to get the picture now. It is completely calm. The boat isn't even moving. There is zero threat, and Jesus is proving his sufficiency. Like that. And I have to believe that, that they're kind of looking at each other, dripping wet, still holding the oars, and the boat's not moving. And the text says, look at it, it says they were fearful and amazed. You think? Here's the power and authority of the Lord on full display. And listen, when we see him like that, our only response should be humble and awestruck faith. They're in the storm. Jesus stands up. The storm's done. And now it's completely placid. The, the, the waves are barely even lapping the side of the boat. And there's complete silence. And, and they're completely amazed. And the only thing they can conclude, and this needs to be our conclusion this morning, the only thing they can conclude is that the Lord has power and authority over any circumstance. And he is faithful to minister to us when we are afraid. Instead of being full of fear this morning, whatever your crisis is, you need to be full of faith. Because fear will get you nothing but an ulcer. Faith will give you confidence and hope and security in Christ. So it starts with the disciples. Then the next thing that happens in the day is they get to the other side of the lake. This is in verse 26. And as soon as they land and get off the boat, they're confronted by a man who's possessed with demons. Now, this has been going on a while, and this guy is so dominated by demons that he's running around naked, and he's living in graveyards, and he's unable to be tamed by anybody. See, his problem, the disciples' problem is they were afraid. His problem is that he's completely out of control. There's no sense of normalcy. He certainly has no uh, satisfaction or peace in his life. And nobody can help him even if he wants it. But when he sees Jesus, he finally realizes that he needs the Lord's help. In fact, it's an interesting scene. Look at verse 28 of chapter 8. Seeing Jesus, he cried out and fell before him and said in a loud voice, What business do we have with each other, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. 
For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man, for it had seized him many times, and he was bound with chains and shackles and kept under guard, and yet he would break his bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. Now, two things. Notice that even the demons recognize Jesus as the Son of the Most High God. The demons fear and tremble. They know Jesus is Lord. They know the master they're serving is a fraud. So the man comes up. And he's out of control, and there's nothing that can calm him. But it's interesting because as soon as he sees Jesus, look back at the verse. He falls down before him. In doing that, he's showing reverence and deference to him. And at the same time that he's doing that, there's an internal battle going on in him because the demons within him are still trying to resist the Lord. Now, this is a very vivid picture of the spiritual battle. As a believer in Jesus Christ, if you have trusted Christ and confessed your sin and he has redeemed you, you cannot be possessed by a demon because the Holy Spirit is the one who resides and the Holy Spirit doesn't share space. So a believer cannot be filled with a demon. And yet, we are under constant spiritual battle. We talked about this recently. We're under constant spiritual attack to resist yielding ourselves to the Lord. And when we give in to that temptation and we yield to sin and we go back to the old man, which is under bondage to sin, this right here is a picture of the result. If your life this morning, even as a believer, is caught up in sin, you are going to be out of control. You're not going to have any peace. You're going to be tormented and confused and filled with what's unclean. And I want to tell you this morning, you know it as much as anybody. You may ignore it. You may say it's not a big deal. Paul, you, you, come on, you're being too harsh this morning. It's August. It's hot. Just, just ease up a little bit. No, I'm not going to ease up because sin does this. Sin gets us out of control, and our minds aren't right, and our relationships aren't right, and we're in crisis all the time, and we're not satisfied, and we are angry and frustrated and bitter and all sorts of mess, because that's what sin does, and that's what it's doing to this man. Every one of us needs to decide how we're going to live. Are you going to live in submission to sin or submission to the Lord? Because those are the only two choices. There's not a third choice, not a fourth choice, not a fifth choice. There are two choices, submission to sin or submission to the Lord. And the difference between the two, let me give you the, the end game of both of these. The difference between the two is the end result of sin is that it binds and destroys. And the end result of Jesus is that he frees and gives life. Which one do you want? You want to live under bondage? You want to live under destruction? You want to have your life not end the way it should because God intended for you to love him and trust him and know him? Is that what you want? Or do you want to go to Jesus and get life? I guarantee there's not a person in this room who does not know that the first part of that sentence, that sin binds and destroys, that we don't know that's true. We've all experienced it. We've all experienced the pain and destruction of sin. But I'm going to tell you this morning, I hope you've experienced the liberation and joy of trusting in Jesus. Because it is unreal. And once the demoniac is freed, <laughs> I love this. Once the demoniac's freed, look at the evidence of the change. Go to verse 35. The people went out to see what had happened. And they came to Jesus and they found the man with whom the demons had gone out sitting down at the feet of Jesus, clothed, and in his right mind, and they became frightened. I would think so. Those who had seen it reported to them how the man who was demon-possessed 
had been made well. Out of control, crazy, speaking gibberish, not knowing what to do. Now, as soon as Jesus gets rid of the sin and gets rid of the demons, as soon as that happens, now he's in his right mind. Gone was the torment, gone was the frustration, gone was the sin. Now he's sitting at the feet of Jesus, and he's clothed, and he's shaved. And I mean, you can just see a physical demeanor change, and he's in his right mind, and, and there's no more depravity in his heart. And in verse 42, it says that he goes around, and he starts telling everybody what Jesus has done. See, when the domination of self is gone, all you want to do is tell people about it. All you want to do is say, praise Jesus Christ. He has done it all. He has delivered me from bondage, and I'm crucified with him. And you know what? That's wonderful because that old self is gone, and the new self controls. So we've got the disciples who are afraid. We've got the demoniac who's out of control. Let's quickly deal with the last two. Jesus meets two more people during the day. He meets a man named Jairus, and he meets a woman now, we've studied both of these passages before, so we're not going to spend a lot of time on them other than to see how Jesus works in our life when we trust him. See, Jairus and the woman apparently didn't even know each other, but they become situationally uh, interconnected. And that wasn't the intent. That wasn't what they were going for because they were both in their own crisis. They weren't thinking about anybody else. They were thinking about their problem. Jairus comes to Jesus first. It's in verse 42. For he had an older daughter, about 12 years old, and she was dying. But as Jesus went, the crowds were pressing against him. Now, Jairus is a ruler in the synagogue, but none of that matters at this point because he has a major league crisis. His 12-year-old daughter, the life is slipping from her. She's dying, and he can't do anything about it. He has no answers. And at this point, his problem is he's desperate. When we're trapped by problems, we can't change what happens. Our mind starts to run in a lot of different directions, right? And we start to become angry and defiant and bitter and maybe even proud. So it's really important for us to notice that even though this man's in an official in the synagogue, that he doesn't approach Jesus with attitude. He doesn't come up, hey, 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 Jesus, hey, hey, I'm a ruler in the synagogue. Forget all these people. Forget this crowd. Hey, everybody be quiet. I'm the ruler of the synagogue. I have a problem. You guys just knock it off. He doesn't do that. He comes up to Jesus. And he, look at it, he falls at Jesus' feet. It's in verse 41, we didn't read it. He falls at Jesus' feet and he begins to beg him to come to his house. Now Jesus responds to that because God's not indifferent to our pain, right? Jesus doesn't look at your life and go, wow, they're in turmoil. Oh, good luck. So Jesus starts to go toward his house, but then problem number two and problem number three show up. Not only is the crowd pressing against them and hindering them from moving, let alone hurrying, but all of a sudden Jesus stops and he starts talking to some woman. Now I don't know about you, but, but I'm not sure I would have been silent in that situation. 
I'm not sure my patience would have stayed at a nice calm level because my daughter's dying and Jesus is starting to move to the house and get out of the way, crowd. And, and who's this lady? And why? Jesus, come on, you can't stop right now. Come on, my daughter's desperate. I'm desperate. You got to deal with my problem first. Here's what's fascinating about the text. Between verse 42 and verse 49, the Holy Spirit doesn't record Jairus saying one word. Jesus stops. And then when he's finally done, in verse 49, somebody from his house walks up. And it's not good. Um, Jairus, she died. I'm really sorry. She, she died. Imagine the anguish of that moment. And imagine the feeling that if you just hadn't stopped and if that crowd just hadn't gotten in the way, we might have gotten there in time. But now all hope is lost and desperate doesn't even begin to describe it. There is no way of turning back the clock. It was done. Have you ever had a situation like that where you just can't breathe? Where you're just, you're so, you're so overwhelmed and all your emotional strength is just stripped away and you don't feel like you can live another minute. Well, I want to tell you something. I've been through times like that and you have too. And you know what? We're here today and the Lord brought us through those times. I can picture them right now. I can remember how I felt. I can remember the emotion. I can remember the reaction of the people around me. I can remember the desperation and the fear and the Lord, how are we going to do this? And I'm telling you right now, August 14, 2016, I'm still standing here and God was faithful. It didn't seem like it was going to happen at the time. But listen, when we see God's unfailing mercy, we know we can trust him. But Jairus is desperate. It's, it's all done. And then Jesus says something to him. Look at the text. He says, Jairus, it's okay. It's okay. Look at it. Verse 50. Don't be afraid any longer. Only believe. And she will be made well. Jairus doesn't lash out in anger. And he doesn't tell Jesus, yeah, whatever. Go away. It's done. There's nothing we can do now. That would have been the natural human instinct. But listen, Jairus is thinking spiritually. He listens to Jesus, and he follows Jesus to his house, and he follows Jesus to his daughter's room, and then he watches as Jesus brings the daughter back to life, astonished by the power of God. If you are in a point of desperation, please hear me say this. I'm living evidence of it. The Lord will meet you at your point of desperation, and he will offer you grace and restoration. And if you're not saved this morning, and you're at the desperation point of, I have no hope, I have no confidence, I'm so caught up in sin, Paul, God couldn't possibly forgive me. Let me tell you something right now. God is offering you forgiveness and pardon and redemption and cleansing forever. He will offer you new life, and he will eternally secure you, but you got to trust him. And when you do, your life will change. Now, that leads us to the final person. Let's take two minutes on her and pray.
the woman that stopped the whole thing is written about between verses 43 and 48. She's a woman who had had a hemorrhage for 12 years. Her problem was she was heartbroken. She felt dirty and unclean. Not only was she embarrassed, but she probably felt like nobody would want to be around her, that, that she just needed to hide. She was no doubt lonely and, and feeling ashamed, and there's no question that she had no joy. So she's in the crowd, and she's watching what's going on, and she sees Jairus run up, and she sees Jesus starting to go to his house, and she's like, I just got to get close to him because her faith was strong. She's like, well, if I could maybe just touch him, like just, just touch his robe, maybe, maybe something would happen. Oh, Lord, please may it be so that if I can just touch his robe, everybody's pressing around him. He won't even notice. I just, Lord, I'm just going to touch his robe. Maybe that'll make a difference. And as soon as she does, as soon as she touches him, she's healed. Now Jesus knows that the power has gone out of him. So he stops and says, wait a second, who touched me? Everybody's like, Are you, you're joking, right? Like, seriously? Do you see all the people? Like, Jesus, come on. Like, what are you talking about? Everybody's touching you. He goes, no, 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 no. There's something different. I felt power go out of me. God's power is released when we have faith, isn't it? She had faith. She didn't talk to him. She didn't say, Jesus, heal me. She didn't cry out to him, not at this point yet, but she just touched him. And when she touched him by her faith, God released his power into her life. So he stops and says, who touched me? And she knows. She knows. Oh, she knows. It was her. And notice that she doesn't hide. Look at verse 47. When the woman saw she had not escaped notice, she came trembling and fell down before him. That's three people in a row. And she declared in the presence of all the people the reason why she had touched him. That had to be embarrassing. But how she had been immediately healed. When we are heartbroken and we're desperate, there's nothing better that we can do than to fall before the Lord and ask him for his grace. And here's the wonderful thing about it. God is not stingy. The Bible says he is rich in love and mercy and that he is abundant with his grace. And look at how he shows that here in verse 48. We're done. He says, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. See, her faith was what caught the Lord's attention. God said many, Christ said many times, I haven't seen faith like this. This woman believed all I've got to do is just touch his robe and I'll be healed. And when that happens, Jesus says, you're healed, you're restored. But here's the real end result. For those of you that are heartbroken, the real end result is that I'm going to give you peace. Peace, Philippians says, that passes all understanding. You say, Paul, how can that be? You don't know what I'm going through. You don't know the crisis that I'm dealing with. You don't know that there are no answers. Oh, I've been there. I have been there. 
And I want to tell you that when you trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't lean on your own understanding and in all your ways acknowledge Him, He will direct your paths and He will bring you peace and He will be sufficient for any single problem you have. I promise that because that's what His Word says. Four people, one day. Each of them had a different problem, but they all had a common denominator. They couldn't solve it. But that's where God's sufficient. The disciples were afraid, and they ended up fearful and amazed by his power. The demoniac was out of control. He ended up being freed and restored. Jairus was desperate. He ended up having his prayer answered and being astonished by God's authority. The woman was heartbroken. She ended up healed and at peace. And I want to tell you, the Lord can do all of that in your life. He can do all of that in your life. So it's a matter of trusting him. It's a matter of finding security in him and surrendering yourself to him with confidence. And I want to tell you, he is so worthy and you will never, ever be disappointed. Let's close our eyes. I want you to just take one minute. I'm going to do it too between us and the Lord. What needs to be given to him this morning? You're fearful. You're out of control. Maybe you don't have any answers. You're desperate. You're heartbroken. Maybe it's a combination of all those things. And you can walk out and you can try to make it through today and hope tomorrow's better. Or you can put your complete confidence in the Lord and know that he is sufficient and he loves you more than you could possibly imagine. And he is ready to meet your need. Not because he has to, but because he wants to. Because he's gracious and loving and merciful and he's not stingy with it. He'll pour it out on your life, but you got to rely on him. And listen, the enemy is going to fight that right now. He's fighting it in our minds right now. It's a nice theory, but, you know, look at the pragmatic reality of it. I want to tell you, the reality is God's sufficient. And God's faithful. And God loves you. And I pray this morning you will trust in him with all your heart. Father, we thank you for these examples that you give us of your grace and mercy. We thank you that you are so, so, so worthy. And that you love us and care for us. And that when we're in need, you're ready to help. Because that's who you are. Father, I pray for someone this morning who's in crisis. That doesn't have answers, that doesn't feel hope. Lord, show them confidence this morning in you. Lord, I pray for someone that doesn't know you and hasn't trusted you ever. Maybe right now their heart's resisting this prayer. Lord, right now change them. Convict them and cause their heart to be broken before you and to cry out to you and say, God, I need you as my Savior. Oh, Lord, you'll redeem to the uttermost because that's who you are. We thank you, Lord, for your grace and mercy. and We pray your strength in the days ahead. We pray that you would protect us from the enemy who wants to destroy and defeat. But, Lord, we will not be because you are the victor.
We pray against discouragement, Lord. We pray against despair because you're the God of all hope. And Lord, when we set our minds on things of above, you will work in our lives in an amazing way. So Lord, give us, I pray, a week of great victory, a week of great refreshing, a week of time in your presence that's so sweet. A week of reminders, Lord, where we can be confident in you in all things. And Lord, teach us how to trust you more and more every day. We thank you, Lord, and we praise you and we love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.